0: A word from our sponsors, Freemius. If you create and sell WordPress plugins or themes, you know that only coding features is not enough. You're going to have to securely accept payments, manage subscriptions, handle software licensing, collect European VAT, software updates, and the list goes on. Freemius handles all of those aspects in your business for you. When you sign up to sell through Freemius, they treat you like a true partner because they will only earn money when you earn money, which naturally serves as an incentive for them to help increase your sales. I highly recommend you head over to freemius.com slash mastermind and get a full month of fees waived when you start selling your WordPress plugins and themes through Freemius.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to mastermind.fm, this is Jean Galea and with me today I have Sterling from the blog p2p-millionaire.com. Sterling is a P2P investor among other investments, this is what he's most well known for on the web because of his blog obviously and in this episode we'll be talking about all the strategies he uses when investing into P2P platforms, why he chooses the platforms, pitfalls that you should know and yeah I find it very interesting and especially the wealth of knowledge that Sterling brings to this episode is great because he studied finance, he knows what he's talking about and he's also done considerable investments of over a million into P2P platforms. So I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did and let's get straight into it. Hi Sterling, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks very much for having me. So tell us a bit about your journey with uh, your work and how you got into investing and particularly P2P investing. Uh, so I guess a good
0: starting point would be 10 years ago in 2009, I was leaving university. I'm sure you can remember how the uh, how the economy in Europe looked at that time. Um, you know, it was at pretty much the height of the global financial crisis. Um I'm from the UK. In the UK, things were just as bad as everywhere else in Europe. And, uh, you know, at that time, I had a negative net worth. I had student debts. And it was uh, quite a difficult period to try and find a job. Um, I started networking amongst family and friends and starting to lean towards potentially moving country, you know, leaving the UK and going somewhere where the prospects were a bit better. And, uh, Eventually, through, through a family connection, actually, I got involved with a private company owner um, in his 60s, engineer by trade. His business was uh, an old school sort of manufacturing company, uh, products manufactured in China um, and a global network of distribution companies built on that Chinese supply. Um, the issue that he had was with the supply side. You know, he, he was based in Europe. Uh, most of the companies are based in Europe. Um, and he was basically looking to wrestle back control of the supply side of the company from uh, a couple of Chinese partners who were uh, not behaving particularly well, uh, taking some money under the table, um, you know, really not paying attention to the needs of the business. And things were you know, not looking very good there. So after discussion with him. What he said he really needed was uh, someone trustworthy and reliable to go out to China, um set up a new company and put a plan in place to sort of switch the suppliers over and and wrestle back control. So uh, that was about six months before i I finished university. Um, so immediately after I finished, I headed out to to China. Um, I spent the first six months learning Chinese, learning how to speak Mandarin Chinese. That's quite fast. Um, which was, <laughs> yeah, well, it was, it was quite an intense experience because I didn't have anything else to do. There was no day job. So it was kind of like spending, I think, six hours a day in lessons plus two hours a day of homework. And then outside of that, you know, doing whatever I could to learn outside of lessons. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty challenging, um, but also very rewarding us English guys, we, <laughs> we're not very good at speaking foreign languages. And I think, uh, you know, I always told myself, I don't know how to speak another language. You know, I'm just not very good at languages. But um, after six months, my Chinese was pretty good. So that's, that's something that's, that's kept me going for a long time. So with the job there, after learning Chinese, I guess I don't need to go into too much detail, but only to say that the, the job went well. Um, and after a couple of years, uh, I was offered the opportunity to participate in the company as a shareholder. Um, at that time, it was as much to tie me into the company as it was to reward the, the success so far. And yeah, of course, I accepted. A couple of years later, fast forward another couple of years, and our group, our company was acquired by a large conglomerate. And uh, my small shareholding was exchanged into cold, hard cash. So uh, now I work for a conglomerate. And this is also where my wealth comes from.
1: So what did you study? Was it engineering? It was not. I studied a finance degree. Mm -hmm. Right, Where the knowledge comes from. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Where did you study? I studied in in the UK. Uh, Where? I'd rather not say. Okay, sure. I am asking because I studied in the UK as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just uh, shortly before actually in 2007 was when i finished my degree where were you studying Loughborough. at Loughborough. oh great did you play rugby no but i was pretty into (laughs) sports back then and i I still am actually (laughs) okay good all right so back to your journeys now you have this capital that you could invest yeah what was your thinking process obviously coming from a finance background you knew all about the different investment opportunities And I guess those were still early days for the P2P sector as well. So how did you go about that decision process? Yeah, I mean, this
0: is going back a couple of years at least. And so with this newfound wealth, my first thought was to follow a sort of a, a Boglehead three fund portfolio, which is, um, it's a index fund based and ETF based, uh, passive investment strategy. Um, it's, uh, the name Boglehead are the followers of, of Jack Bogle, uh, who died recently, rest in peace. Um, and he is the founder of Vanguard, a big American company. Um, he's credited with inventing index funds and the, uh, the three fund portfolio is, a uh, The traditional one is an American mix. So you take uh, two ETFs for stocks, uh, one which is uh, focused on American market and one which is the rest of the world, Um, and then you take one ETF for bonds. Uh, The mix of stocks and bonds, you vary depending on your risk tolerance, your timeline, and essentially the stocks do well when times are good and the bonds don't do as badly as the stocks when times are bad. So they kind of like balance each other out. So my first thought on getting this newfound wealth was to protect it and the best way that I know how is to go into the stock market. So if you uh, look at all of the different investments uh, that are available to you, the one that has created the most wealth for the most amount of people for the longest amount of time, you know as long as you have a, uh, a long time frame in mind uh, for me there's only one answer which is uh, stocks so uh, i created my own three fund portfolio but more of a european based one so i took uh, global equities as my stock and european government bonds as my bond etf and at that time i was roughly 25 percent bonds, 75 percent stocks uh nowadays it's a little bit different it's more 50 50 almost 50 50 um and that's just from rebalancing because i think that the uh, the global economy will eventually take a turn um, and so i just want to bolster up as much stocks as i can uh just move back into the bonds a little bit more before that happens so uh with that as a sort of background um, I put roughly half my net worth into that and uh, the other half I was planning on buying and building a house but my circumstances changed. I met my wife um, decided that being here in china was more of a, a long-term goal for us both and didn't particularly fancy investing in the chinese property market which was then and still is today very uh, overcooked i mean kind of almost like a bubble so uh, a couple of years ago I started thinking about you know what to do with the rest of the money looking at different investments and um I I don't even know how I stumbled upon peer-to-peer investing. I mean, it's just, it seems like uh, something that's been so close to me for so long now. Um, It's hard to remember the the first time I heard about it. But uh, originally I was with Twino and uh, with Mintos. I think there was also one UK platform in the mix and that was two or three years ago over time became more and more interested in p2p uh you know more and more interested in the the, the fintech scene totally and so currently my portfolio is 50 fund portfolio and 50 50 peer-to-peer investments
1: also on the blog you were talking about making that big withdrawal for investing in real estate or was it just or do you not treat that as an investment as such more of a personal
0: that one was an investment
1: <laughs> yeah
0: where to start with that i think um sometimes you come across opportunities that you know they just seem too good to be true and this was it was definitely one of those times uh, it was a, a property investment in the uk and um, the figures just looked good they looked really good there was some risk in there and um, i'd say the predominant on risk is to do with with brexit with the uk leaving uh, the Euro- eurozone or leaving europe and um, you know, what that would what effects that would have on the property market in the uk so at that time, I needed to have the cash like totally ready to go. Once the deal went through, I needed to complete within two weeks um, or risk losing the deal. So before I knew all of the facts, I just decided I've just got to get this money together just in case, you know, just in case it looks, looks like it's a goer. And so that's when I made the decision to withdraw the, uh, the, the million euros from Mintos. And um, when I told my co-blogger Scrappy about it, he said, hey, you should blog about this. You know, people want to know if you need to get your money out. How does it work you know how long does it take how much does it cost you know you should you should blog about this one so so i did and it's been uh, really one of the most popular posts that we have on our on our site yeah very interesting although i would say to anyone who hasn't read it if you go do go and read it that one caveat is that it's a snapshot you know it's uh taking a look at the secondary market on Mintos at that particular moment in time. I had some loans within my portfolio that were, you know, basically everything was higher than 12% return. And at that time, uh, 12% loans on Mintos were, were, you know, becoming harder to find, um, particularly for the loan originators that were in my portfolio. So. Actually, the portfolio sold really well. Within 72 hours, it was basically 90% all done. And uh, withdrew it a week later. Took one day to withdraw, and then it was in my bank account. I was amazed at how quickly it came through. And uh, with the property investment, in the end, uh, <laughs> I decided not to invest. Right. You know, I have a, a very good law firm in the UK uh, that did some due diligence on it, and some other things came up out of it that skewed the risk return balance and um, you know the risk was higher the return was the same and in the end it's a, a lot of money to put into one basket you know it's a big egg in one basket and so I decided not to go ahead with it.
1: So a couple of questions based on what you've been saying uh, first one I'm curious being based in Asia for a number of years now have you seen any interesting investment opportunities within Asia, and it seems that you haven't invested there yet. And just wondering, because many people say that, you know, China's the up and coming big economy, there's lots of investment potential. So wondering why you didn't do anything within Asia itself?
0: I would say from a consumer-invested perspective that China, and more generally Asia, Is not an easy market to invest in um, at the consumer level. I think that the successful investments that are available here are, um, you know, at investment grade level, so for for companies making big purchases. um, And it kind of only really leaves... A few options here for investors at our level uh, to get involved which would be the Chinese stock market um, which is just I mean it's a roller coaster ride it's highly speculative it's prone to bubbles it's controlled very heavily by the government and uh, yeah it's not something that I'm interested in investing in and and the other one is property and again the property market here is speculative um, within China Chinese people are not able to To invest outside of china very easily Um, you know there's a big control on the flow of capital that keeps it inside the country so chinese citizens have a very very high saving rate naturally you know they they are very very conservative in how they handle their finances and so they end up with a lot of wealth that they don't really know what to do with and the answer for them in recent years has definitely been invest in the stock market invest in housing uh, so why don't I inv- uh, invest in, in either of those uh, places? Is, is just because everyone else here is. Um, and I'd rather buy cheap
1: than buy expensive. Do you see a lot of ac- activity from the Chinese side in cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, to, even to take the money out of the country as well? Yes, yeah,
0: an interesting question. I wouldn't know a lot about it. Um, there was a period several years ago where cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, etc., were very, very popular here, um, as they were all over the world. But there was a big backlash from the government. They kind of cracked down on it. Um, I'm sure a lot of transfers go on from China within China, outside of China, with Chinese people moving money around. But
1: it's not really spoken about, so yeah. <laughs> I couldn't comment. <laughs> So you're not invested in any cryptocurrencies?
0: Funnily enough, I actually got involved in Bitcoin as a hobby some years ago. At the time, Bitcoin was trading at about $120. I just found it very interesting. I'm a bit geeky like that anyway. At that time, um, I, I found the mining very very interesting and sort of started doing that as a hobby and uh, it was just around the time the transition was happening from uh, graphical mining cards into ASICs and the first ASICs were just sort of being being developed and I managed to get hold of uh, a butterfly labs uh, mining machine um, and also a a KNC mining machine and then a little bit later some ASICs developed for um uh, for the uh, Litecoin networks, so slightly different standard. Uh, and so I had my bedroom on the side, uh, which was filled with these mining machines. And I remember the first time I took my wife to be home and I walked her past this, uh, this room. It was my bedroom and uh, the spare room was whirring with all these lights and this hot air like coming out of the door. And she kind of said, what, what's going on in there? I, I tried to explain it, but in the end I couldn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, just to finish up that story about cryptocurrency, um, in the end, I sold all of my crypto at uh, about $800. It was after it peaked at 1200 and then came back down again. I basically I just thought, uh, I don't have time to keep up to date with the community anymore. I'd kind of fallen out of love with it, and mining was no longer uh, feasible at the level that I was doing it. It was starting to be taken over by these uh, these big companies, um, and so I, I just sold everything at 800 which generally generated about $50,000 profit on the whole hobby, which lasted for two years, which I was very happy with.
1: Uh, Another thing that I'd like to ask, uh, you mentioned the three fund portfolio, Um, I was looking into this a couple of months ago, and so my question was, why should I invest in ETFs versus like the Vanguard fund directly?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. ETFs obviously are tradable um, on exchanges versus the Vanguard funds, which uh, you, you can buy and sell directly with Vanguard and they have a once per day buy-in. Uh, there isn't really a good reason for one or the other. It's personal preference. The reason I use ETFs is because my broker, which is an international broker, there are a lot more ETFs available on their platform. And as an expat investor, Vanguard won't accept me. So that's
1: for me is the only reason. All right. Um, So going back to P2P, um, what made you decide on Mentos, which I guess right now is your biggest uh, platform in terms of investment? Yes, I think, uh, I mean, I'm a huge Mintos fan. Do you use the platform? Yeah, I've used, like you, I've also blogged about this stuff and I've used all the platforms. And same for me, Mintos is the biggest platform so yeah i'm very familiar with it
0: yeah well i'm a huge Mintos fan i think that the way that they have uh, they're the biggest for a reason the way that they use a sort of a big data approach to look at the statistics for all the different loan originators the way that they they do their vintaging of the different loan batches that are coming in to track the the sort of the the real-time projected default rates of of the originators you know all of that stuff makes me feel very confident with the platform generally. And of course, the main thing that a lot of people are looking for um, in a platform is one that is profitable. If you're going to give your money to someone, let it be someone that's going to be in business in five years, not someone who's losing money every year. So for me, Mintos, they represent just under 75% of the overall portfolio. Um, I have a couple of other uh, platforms that I really like that have large amounts in, but not as large as Mintos. And then, of course, I have the the, the 10K Club, uh, which is this uh, this new portfolio that we've recently launched, putting 10,000 euros into a whole basket of different platforms just to sort of try them out, see how the 10,000 does, track the results over time. So coming back to Mintos, they have so many loan originators uh, on the platform that you look at the platform and say, okay, the, the platform is stable, um, platform's not going anywhere. I'm gonna invest in the platform. You then look at the next level down, you say, okay, but, but what is there to invest in? So what are the, the different loans that are available, the different originators that, that are listed on the platform. And as you know, Mintos by far has the most choice when it comes to loan originators, it has the most choice. When it comes to different types of loans, it has the most choice when it comes to the actual countries the loans are issued in in the first place. So if you're looking for any kind of uh, diversification, whether it's diversification of loan originators, so the guys that are offering the buyback guarantees, or whether it's diversification of the countries that the, uh, that the funds are actually lent in, Mintos is just, it's your one-stop shop. If people ask me about peer-to-peer and they ask me for how how to get started, I say, look, don't consider any other platform until you've been on Mintos. Have a Mintos account for six months. Feel comfortable with the general investing experience that you get with peer-to-peer. Understand the risks that are involved. um, Just have a feel for it. And then after that, after you've been on Mintos for six months, then you can start thinking about other platforms you know then you can start thinking okay there are these other platforms that offer higher rates at higher risk you know is that something that i'm comfortable with so if there's anybody out there listening who's never been into peer-to-peer before get yourself a mintos account stick a, a small amount of money in and, and just see how it goes uh, for me it was
1: uh, It was love at first sight with Mintos, really. Yeah, I mean, they have a really nice interface. Support is good. And I think you mentioned something very important, which is the fact that you should always check how the company itself is doing. In fact, uh, just three weeks ago, Mintos released their 2018 financial report. So you can go in and see how the company is doing. And obviously, there's... I mean, these are all Baltic platforms in the majority. And I can only imagine that... Everybody there is trying to create their own platform because they're seeing these huge successes. (laughs) So, and it might be that someone, three guys managed to create a nice looking website and everything, but that shouldn't mean that you invest with them. I like to look at someone who's been in the game for a number of years. Other investors have already tried it, had success, took out the money as you did, and as I did as well at one point. And, you know, everything works as it should. So that's a very good point for me in favor of Mintos. In fact, uh, just to compare them with one other platform like Fast Invest, have you seen that? Yes, I have an account
0: with Fast Invest in the 10K Club. So at the moment I'm using the platform um, and seeing how it works. I mean, a lot has been said about Fast Invest, a lot of negative comments about the level of transparency on the platform because they don't actually publish who their loan originators are. Um yeah, it's one of the platforms that I would uh, I would say proceed with caution definitely.
1: Yeah. So that's one example of a very nice looking platform, very nice founder story, but there's something something that's not I feel it's not 100% transparent and as legit as Mintos doesn't mean it's a bad platform it's just as you mentioned something where I would invest something very small see how it goes and then wait a couple of years until to see how that goes before I invest any substantial money in it
0: yes absolutely proceed with caution on on those smaller platforms as well
1: did you were you hit by the eurocent bankruptcy on min
0: fortunately I was not I was not but of course the eurocent example is absolutely uh one that everyone should know about, even if you weren't affected by it, even if you came into peer-to-peer afterwards. Uh, for those of you listening who don't know Eurocent, uh, they were a uh, Polish were they? I Polish agree. loan originator yep. on the Mintos platform with buyback guarantee. The company itself went bankrupt and the loans that were issued on Mintos, so far there's been, I believe, zero recovery. Um, it's still tied up in the courts. There are other creditors who are all waiting in line to get paid out from whatever's left in the bankrupt company. And it's really just, it's a case in point that the buyback guarantee is only as strong as the person or the entity that is backing it up. So a lot of people might believe that the buyback guarantee somehow protects them um, in every circumstance. It's not correct. People who know more about peer-to-peer understand that the buyback guarantee it only guarantees insofar as the loan originator remains solvent and uh, you know there are a lot of originators on Mintos and everywhere else that are not profitable that's really something um, I would recommend people dive into look out for uh, do your own research and and make sure that you have both eyes wide open to the the risks that you're taking personally I have a very high uh, risk tolerance but Absolutely, before I make an investment, I have to know what the risks are. You know, I have to look at the risk-reward ratio and decide whether or not that's something for me or
1: not. Yeah, I was affected by the Eurocent crash, but obviously it's something that's can happen again because it's part of the system that we're investing in, after all. And it was a kind of a learning experience. And in a way, I like going through these experiences early on because it teaches me more about myself and how I react to these things. It was like the same with cryptocurrencies, where I was holding up till the top 20k, then lost it all in the crash. It's not something nice, but in the end, you learn. Okay, I tolerated that or or not, and so. So that gives me more confidence on what to expect of myself in the future because ultimately investing is all about how you can deal personally with the successes and the failures of your investment if you cannot deal with it either way, you're not gonna be successful in life so <laughs> it's quite important <laughs> absolutely so within Mintos um uh, so I like I have this idea where I would So I run a company and I would like to invest the profits of that company into P2P, but only temporarily. So I was very interested in the one million withdrawal that you did because I would probably be investing for less than a year. If we go to the Mintos platform, would it be something that you could recommend how people who want to invest and then sell later within a short period? What kind of auto invest portfolio should they set up? Is there a system that you use or something like that?
0: Yeah, I mean, my auto-invest profiles, um, I'm actually just writing a post about them at the moment. The million euros that was not invested into the property deal um, is going back into Mintos. So is uh, preparing a nice post to say how I use the auto-invest in order to invest a million euros, uh, which I think will be another popular post on the site. Um, so Hopefully, the guys listening now uh, have already read, or if you haven't, please go check out the site now and have a look at the, at the post. Um, but to go back to your question, so you're talking about uh, only short term, but then you're talking also about the, the secondary market. And I would just caution on that to say that the test that I did, I said it earlier, it was a, a snapshot view of the secondary market at a particular moment in time. And you know, at the moment, we have very high returns on Mintos there are a lot of loans available at 14%, 15.1% I see for the short-term loans, two or three different originators. You know, If you're trying to sell 12% per annum loans and on the primary market you've got 13 14 15% available, you're not going to be able to sell them unless you discount them. Um, to a level that's going to make it attractive on the secondary market. So I would say the secondary market is a very, very important tool. It's one of the fantastic things that sets Mintos apart from all of the competitors. It has this huge secondary market. It's very liquid. And you can get through a a million euro portfolio very quickly in the right circumstances. But if you're talking about a short-term way to invest your company's money or your own personal money Um, I wouldn't recommend relying on the secondary market because in a year's time when you want to sell, maybe the loans are even higher. Maybe they're 16, 17 percent because something else has happened. You know, we can't predict that. So if you want to do that, I would recommend investing only in the short term loans. And so for me, if I was setting up that auto invest profile, um, I would probably follow the same way that I do it now, which is uh, one auto-invest profile per originator. And then I would set a limit of uh, maximum loan duration, three months or six months, and be adjusting that over time, depending on when I wanted the capital back. And then coming up to the year when it ends, just let everything mature, let everything come out. Um, And if you really need all of the money back in time, you gotta remember, stop all of the auto invest profiles at least 60 days before the end because there are going to be some that are late that are bought back but buybacks kick in 60 days later so you really need to be projecting that forward.
1: And So one thing you said is that you set up the auto invest per loaner originator? That's correct. Why is that? That is because
0: it goes back to this idea of the buyback guarantee so I only invest in loan originators on Mintos that offer buyback guarantee. And so we're essentially taking a bet that that loan originator will remain solvent enough to buy back a loan in the case that the loan um, recipient can't pay it back. So For my risk aversion in my portfolio, I limit the amount of the portfolio that can go into any one loan originator. So for my Mintos account, I have a 50,000 euro limit, which represents of my total peer-to-peer portfolio, it represents uh, about 3.7%. So we can say that in a euro case example, I'm only risking 3.7% of my total portfolio. So in the case that there would be zero recovery or the recovery would would drag on for a long time. If one loan originator fails, then I have 3.7% at risk. So that's the way that I've structured my uh, auto-invest profile so that I'm not overweight in any one particular mm-hmm. loan originator. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. I often get asked, you know, what about when uh, the next economic crash happens? It's a great question. I mean, I could talk about it all night. How long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> the next economic crash it is coming that much we know when it's coming we don't know how bad it will be we don't know but it is coming this much we know and what happens with p2p in general What happens on mintos in general uh, i mean on one hand i've got a lot invested uh, and so you know i want to let this party go on for as long as possible but on the other hand i'm actually kind of looking forward to seeing what happens you know what happens to the loan originators? Are the risks that people say exist in P2P are they are they overstated? Are they understated? Um, I do think that there will be blood on the streets. We will see how much blood, and we will see who's left by the end of it. Um, what I can say is that you know we're what is it ten years into the longest bull run um, we've ever had. We will see what happens. I mean, what do you feel on your portfolio? How do you think that you'll insulate yourself against that kind of situation in the future do you have a plan for it
1: not really no (laughs) (laughs) The, the way i think about it is i try to diversify as much as possible you know so starting from the base like i have my own skills if i lose everything I can always use my skills to generate the monthly income I need to survive. So that's at the base level. And then secondly, you know, I start to diversify into different things. So I'm into crypto. I don't know about how that will go, but I'm confident. Then there's the P2P platforms. There's property. So I don't see everything going bad at the same time, you know. So in any case, I think most importantly, what so I'm I'm investing long-term. So For me, what's most important, crisis or not, is that I have the monthly income I need to live well. And I'm not too worried about that, to be honest, because I think that's partly from investments and partly from using my own skills, I could generate the income I need. Sure,
0: sure. Are you familiar with the uh, P2P Independent Forum? Uh, It's like a
1: UK-based forum talking about P2P investments. That's the website or the Facebook group?
0: It's It's a website. It's a forum. A couple of months ago, I had a really interesting uh, exchange with one of the guys there, a couple of posts. Um, a lot of the, the UK guys, they look at the returns on the peer-to-peer platforms in the UK, which are a lot lower than the European platforms, particularly from the Baltics. And so the, the question is why? Um, in this guy's opinion, he was saying that the, the returns are higher because the risk is higher. And in the UK, the returns are lower because the, the risk is lower. And uh, he looked at my portfolio and he said, you know, you you must be mad to have so much invested in peer to peer. And it's it's such high risk. And what's going to happen when the economy turns and uh, you're risking it all. So that was the kind of the basis for the start of the conversation. And during this, I wrote a very, very long post in reply. And in writing the post, I actually uh, sort of solidified in my own mind what I would do in, under different circumstances. And one of the circumstances that I uh, uh, I thought about is what would happen during the next economic crisis. How would it affect peer to peer and what would be my reaction to that? Um, and so I came upon this kind of strategy, uh, which is evolving at the moment. Uh, obviously, it's not fixed. It's an evolving beast. But generally, I have this uh, this idea that half of my net worth is is in the stock market and bonds. Um, that's very long-term, stable. I'm quite happy with that. If another 2008 comes along, so be it. Just stay the course and eventually it'll be fine. Um, but what happens to the P2P? You know, if there is going to be uh, a significant impact on returns I'll, if there are going to be bankruptcies with loan originators, um, if there are going to be a lot more defaults at the very uh, lower level, then it would be a good idea to try and uh, reduce my exposure to that. And so my idea would be when we see the economy starting to turn, when we see the, the next economic crisis coming, or while we're in the middle of it, I will pause all of the auto-invest settings on all of the different platforms that I invest in and I will just let all of the loans that are there finish. So I have some short-term loans, some premium and some long. Um, Just let all of the interest payments be returned into my account and withdraw them as they come out. At the same time, the stock market will be falling. I've made the decision okay time to get out of peer to peer it means that the stock market is crashing so with that money that's coming out of peer to peer I will then be buying into a falling market you know this is for me what falling stock market great fantastic throw more money in <laughs> yeah. this is what we all wait for and at the same time I'll be changing my uh, the mix of stocks and bonds in my portfolio so I'll be reducing the bonds and buying the cheap stocks in stages as the stock market's falling. Um, because I have long-term peer-to-peer loans in my portfolio, um, I will never be able to get all of the peer-to-peer money out during an economic crisis period. Because you know I've got five-year loans in there. So I, I think I will not be on the secondary market unless maybe as a buyer. We'll see what kind of discounts will be uh, we'll be seeing on the secondary market as people panic. Um, and I'll just let the loans just just gently uh, get repaid. And if some of the loan originators go under, so be it. I'll be blogging about it the whole time. And we'll have a record online of how it happened blow by blow, what I was thinking, you know, what the results were. And uh, hopefully in the future, people look back on that and say, okay, that's how peer-to-peer does in an economic crisis. We've, we've got the record
1: now. It goes back to being prepared, really. If you have the capital, you're diversified and you know what, what's happening. I think you can profit from any crisis or boom, you know. It's, I don't see it necessarily as a negative thing for investors. Obviously, for the general population, a crisis is bad. But once you know what you're doing and you've got the money to invest and move around, you're always going to profit in a way. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I think um, you're right. I mean, the most important thing is that no matter what happens with your investments um, and your net worth is that you are always able to generate money if you need to. Um, Whether that's generate money to live on or generate money to take the opportunities that are available. The stock market's crashing. Wow, great time to buy. Uh, so, you know, to be able to generate cash uh, reliably in all circumstances, this is the most important skill.
1: Um, I've seen, like, I'm currently living in Spain, and most of the people who did badly in the Spanish crisis were invested almost solely within real estate. Mm. So, like, if you're invested in one thing just because it's going up, you're probably going to suffer in a few years. There's no way to go about it. It's quite obvious, you know? So that's mm-hmm. why you need to diversify. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Uh, Another question I have, maybe you've looked into it, is whether these loan originators have started themselves before the crisis and the previous crisis and whether they've been able to weather that or whether they're all new companies.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I think, um, forget originators for a second, I think the only platform, to my knowledge, that was around before the crisis is uh, Zopa from the UK. They issue uh, personal loans in the UK. Currently returns, I think they're around 5%, something of that magnitude. Um, and they are one of the biggest platforms um, for to be investing in, in Europe and elsewhere. Um, you know, they, I think they started in 2005. So they went all the way through that crisis. I mean, I'd love to have a look at their data just to see, you know, how the defaults raised and you know what effect that actually had on uh, on returns. I think um, one thing that we can look at, uh, which has survived many many economic cycles, are the returns of credit cards. So credit cards are unsecured loans issued personally, and banks have been issuing them for many many years. And you can find the data. I found uh, some nice graphs online uh, looking at the American market to say you know what happens to the returns to the banks, the, the guys that issue the credit cards, what happens during an economic crisis. And it's very interesting. What you can see is during the period of recession, the defaults don't rise, but about 12 months later, they start to rise. So first of all, you see like a 12 month lag between economic crisis and the effect of what's going on um, at the ground level, with the, at the consumer level. And then you see the, the defaults start to rise, And the net returns to the credit card companies start to fall. And then as the economy gets better, it goes the other way, everything recovers. The very, very interesting thing is that the graphs that I was looking at, I'm going to email these to you afterwards. And the graphs that I was looking at, the credit card companies didn't suffer any losses during the bad times, their returns reduced from say, uh, I don't know the exact figures, from like 18% down to 11%, something like that, and then back up again. But in the end, they didn't lose money. Uh, So they're very, very well diversified within that industry. They've got a lot of different customers. Um, And so it's like an index fund. They're investing in consumers as a population. And when the unemployment level rises from 5% to 10%, oh my God, economic crisis. But actually the effect on the credit cards is, is not so great. I mean, how that compares to European peer-to-peer lending, we'll see. We'll see. It's going to be interesting.
1: It's quite similar, though. I mean, apart from it being US and versus Europe, the concept is quite similar. So I haven't looked into any of these loan originators themselves during the past crisis. Yeah, yeah, neither have I. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure some of them have been around for quite some time. Yeah, I suspect
0: that. A lot of them have just adapted their business model. And I would hope that the more professional, larger loan originators, um, they're also not blind to the fact that an economic crisis will be coming. And probably, in my opinion, sooner rather than later. So it would be very, very surprising to find out that they didn't already have plans in place of how to adapt their business model to those changing environments. At the end of the day, these are profit-making companies that want to continue making profit. Um, it's not a case of oh, there'll be an economic crisis, and when that happens, we'll just throw our hands up and say it's been great, thanks very much. Of course not. You know these companies want to survive, so they must have some kind of battle plan for when those economic conditions arrive. I like to think so, anyway.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> and have you looked into what these loan originators charge their customers versus the returns? that we are getting?
0: I have, I have. I mean, this is one of the additions on Mintos, uh, must be about six months ago now, something like that, uh, as they started to show the uh, the APR uh, that the end user is being charged by the loan originator. Um, I feel in different ways about it. Um, it's a misleading figure. For short-term loans Um, because short-term low-value payday loans, um, you know, you could see 500% as an annualized uh, return but when you consider a guy in uh, Bulgaria borrowing 200 euros so that he can make uh, some kind of payment that he needs to make, the company that originates that loan, they've got their overheads to cover, they've got a fixed cost to cover on each loan application or the paperwork Um, So that fixed cost, when you add on to the actual interest that they're they're charging, that gets all added up together into the total cost to the consumer and then multiplied forward to say, this is how much it costs per year annualized. So if you're looking at like a five-day loan um, for 200 euros, hey, I'll loan you that for 200 euros, pay me back 205. You think, oh, great. Thanks very much for helping me out. That's a very high annualized rate. So it's a little bit of a misleading figure. Obviously, for the longer-term loans, it is important. Um, The consumer's ability to pay money back um, and not be caught in a debt trap uh, is important, both from a business perspective and also from an ethical perspective. And so for the longer-term loans, this is one of the things that I do actually look at. How about you? I mean, is this something that, that factors into your decision for, for the loans? Not yet. No, I,
1: I haven't looked into it. I've always wanted to, but I just hadn't gotten around to doing it yet.
0: You know, it's starting to happen, legislation in different countries. If you look in the UK, we used to have a very, very strong payday lender called Wonga, um, and they became very, very big very quickly. Um, and they were, they were legislated against. Uh, the government in the UK passed some laws, to say what was the maximum amount that you could charge on a payday loan. And, and it killed them, it killed the business. I mean, I believe that they were either bankrupt or very close to it last year. Um, I think they were acquired in the end. Um, and you're starting to see this happen in other Euro countries. Um, I believe in the Baltic states, uh, there are now limits on, on what you can charge as a loan originator. Um, even places like Georgia, where if you cast your mind back a year ago on MINTOS lendo from georgia was like wow so they represented huge loan volume on the platform and now they're an afterthought and one of the reasons behind that is because of these legislative changes in in that market so it's something that we as peer-to-peer investors we need to uh, be watching out for both from uh, looking after our investments to make sure that you know loan originators don't go the same way that wonga did if legislation changes um, but also just to be ahead of the curve and to recognize that for long-term loans with very, very high interest rates, you know, those, those are real people being caught in debt traps. Um, and, and personally, it's not something that I want to be involved in.
1: You know, one, one other thing that I sometimes discuss with new investors is like you've been talking about several different factors that obviously are all very important, but someone who's investing A thousand euro, I mean, first of all, there's a question of knowledge. You have to have the knowledge to go into these things. And secondly, how much work are you going to put into investigating when you're only investing a thousand euro, you know, this is the same with real estate crowdfunding, you know, they sell it as start investing and diversifying from only 10 euro, it's great. And then you're like, okay, there's all this information about the building. There's the architect's plans. I need to get to know what's uh, what student uh, housing looks like, and there's all this different stuff. So am I going to do all this work for ten euro investment? Doesn't make sense. <laughs>
0: You're absolutely right, and you know i'm I'm the same. Um, I have slightly higher um, investment uh, values than a thousand euros. It makes or 10 sense years.
1: for you, but, but for most people, I suspect no, it doesn't. No, I'm, I'm going to tell you the opposite.
0: You know, On the pick and choose platforms where you're actually looking at loans and deciding whether or not to take them, on the pick and choose platforms with no auto-invest, I auto-invest just manually. Like I, I take the platform and I say, is this a platform that I want to invest in? And are the risk-return ratios... Um, are they acceptable for my particular risk appetite? And if they are, I'm just going to take everything that comes along, um, because I want the diversification and, you know, some of them will fail and I'd rather have, I'd rather not have the outlier in my portfolio and nothing else. I'd rather have everything in my portfolio so that that outlier doesn't affect my portfolio so badly, you know?
1: Yeah, it makes sense, you know? Um, Yeah. And so that brings me to, to the blogs that really are being of much help to beginner investors, you know, because let's face it, it's not to a new investor, this P2P investing thing. There's a lot of like people are scared of doing it and then they don't have any idea how to go about it. So that's why I think the blogs are rising so fast in popularity have been rising over the past two years. I've been I've seen the traffic stats of some of my friends who are doing blogging about the space. Yeah. I've seen my own posts. It's just it's incredible how much popularity and traffic.
0: I think a part of it is also this uh, this rise of the fire movement that started yeah, but, in the in the USA. I mean it's something that it's it's really it's really caught on uh, my co-blogger Scrappy I mean he's super interested in the fire movement um, and he believes in the ideals and is implementing it religiously um, and he he likes to write about it and post about it um, and I think that there is this this community um, that has evolved and is evolving around the fire movement and I feel like peer-to-peer investment blogs are almost an offshoot of that. It's like a, a separate branch of the same tree. You know, we're all trying to find that financial independence. You know, traditionally, the American um, version of, of fire is uh, same as my three-fund portfolio. You know, it's, it's stock market-based. Um, it's live off your portfolio forever, uh, that, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I really like the number of blogs that are available. I follow, I can't even tell you how many blogs, at least... 30 different peer-to-peer blogs I'm following regularly. You know, I love the sense of community that we all have together. Uh, I talk regularly with with some of the other bloggers. Um, yeah, it's, it's great. It's, it's For me, it's an investment, but it's also a hobby, um, and it's something that I find super interesting.
1: Hmm. I mean, the funny thing is that some bloggers are, I think most of them are making more, of the affiliate commissions than the the actual investment
0: <laughs> It could be. It could be. Yeah. Depends how well they write. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing you mentioned was the P two P forum earlier. What was that? Because mm-hmm. I I was trying to see if I'm on it, and I'm not sure which one you were talking about. The P two P forum that you the website it's called uh,
0: p2pindependentforum.com all uh, okay. written together no hyphens it's quite uk focused um, a lot of the people on it are from the uk i'm not as active on that as i am on, on other places like our facebook groups but it's interesting reading there's a section for european peer to peer um with with some good information in there um, and you'll find some of the more popular bigger blogs also writing in there I'm sure you recognize some
1: people. What other networking or uh, forums are you in? There are the Facebook groups that you mentioned.
0: Uh, There's the independent forum and then a couple of Facebook groups. um, I know that you're also in. And uh, just a little bit on Twitter every now and again. But that's pretty much as much time as I can spend on (laughs) peer-to-peer, given that I do also have a day job.
1: (laughs) Cool. Well, I also launched eurofinanceblogs.com a couple of Mm. weeks back and that was like just to keep on top of everything that's happening because apart from the stuff happening in English we also have some very good blogs in German for example there are some in Italy as well Spanish blogs Uh, obviously uh, I don't read German but I am reading the Spanish ones and the Italian ones so it also gives you a slightly different perspective on things and yeah, I'm finding my own website quite helpful in keeping on top of things.
0: I'd say I I go to your website also to keep up to date with other blogs. Um, that page that you have of the English-speaking blogs that just gives you the latest—is it five or six posts? Super useful. Super useful. It's actually I have it
1: saved as a as a, a bookmark. Glad you're finding it useful. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So so we'll be following the. 10k experiment yes
0: yes we'll see
1: how that goes i think
0: uh one of the uh, it was interesting how it came to be the 10k club um and in the end it is it's an experiment it's to it's to see the returns over time it's to so that i can get a feel for different platforms uh because Fast forward six months or a year, there will be some promotions from the 10K Club into the main portfolio to say, hey, actually, this I, I need to invest more than 10K. This is a really good platform. Um, so we'll, we'll see who's promoted. We'll see uh, what the returns are like. Um, and, of course, be uh, giving my opinion on all of these different platforms as time goes by.
1: So a curious thing is that you've never invested in the real estate crowdfunding platforms, right?
0: Um, I have actually in the past. Uh, There's one in the UK called Property Partner.
1: Yeah, I'm invested on that one too.
0: It's it's a great platform. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a really well-run company, um, and I've got a lot of good things to say about it. The returns are a little bit low, and in the end, I found it quite illiquid. Um, If you wanted to get your money back out, um, you'll see that the secondary market, as I'm sure you know, um, you can pick up quite a lot of discounted stuff on the secondary market, you know, it's not very well used. Yeah, I, I've, I've invested in um, Property Partner, I don't write about it, it's, it's nothing huge, um, I'm not planning on putting more in there. And in the 10K Club, I have added some uh, property-based platforms, so there's Estate Guru in there, there's Bulk Estate, um, I am talking with uh, Rontgen to see when they're going to start adding some, some more properties um, or just some properties. Uh, there's Evo Estate that just got started who I've just literally last night started investing in. Um, there's reinvest 24. yes, there are quite a few different property based platforms in there. I'm looking forward to seeing how they do. I think one of the things I'm concerned about is a lot of those platforms are based on real estate projects in the Baltics. So I am mindful not to concentrate my capital too much on property in the Baltics. Uh, to have it spread about more evenly would be nice uh, are you on houses I've, yeah. I've also started houses at 10 yeah, I was gonna
1: say that the Spanish sectors right now is real estate crowdfunding is very hot so there's uh, housers there's investor, another company mm. called privalor mm-hmm. stock crowd in. so there are quite a few big ones here
0: yeah I mean I know houses is very big um I think it's probably one of the largest in, in Europe yeah sure sure returns are a little bit low. comparatively. But I'm enjoying the platform very much and uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes.
1: Yeah, and then there's Barcelona itself where obviously the property market here is always quite interesting. Here I would, right now I'm looking more towards private investing versus using a platform because I think the property is already quite overpriced. So you have to look at specific deals which won't be affected by, say, an economic downturn. Mm, so mm, higher yeah. higher uh, value investments. And mm-hmm. those are doing quite well. Returns of 20 to 30% sometimes. Wow. Wow. But it's not something that's automated, you know? You have to know people. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's a trade-off. You know, if you have the time and the willingness to go out and find these deals, I'm sure they do exist. These platforms uh, where companies come on to list their projects, they're raising capital to, to do specific projects, you know, those are all at the middle level of the market in, in terms of, you know, there are a lot of projects available. They're all roughly similar. So you're basically tracking the, the, the middle of the property market. Um, there are outliers at the top. And if you can successfully cherry pick those, those deals, fantastic.
1: Good for you. Um, one final thing. Have you managed to, like, I'm sure you've dug into the returns of each platform in terms of what they display for people who are new to this, to P2P uh, platforms. Does, can one reliably compare the returns displayed? First of all, are they accurate and can they be compared from one platform to another? Or should we be doing our own calculations?
0: Absolutely, one hundred percent. You should be tracking the calculations yourself. There are a lot of platforms that do reliably show the XIRR, um, the extended internal rate of return, which is the the de facto calculation that we all use. And um, they do reliably. Could show you explain
1: it. what that means for?
0: Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, XIRR, it basically it annualizes the return whilst taking into account the movement of cash in and out of an account. So it's a function in Excel. Uh, you can you can read about it. It's a little tricky to understand and to use uh, at the beginning, but if you get a good template, you'll pick it up very quickly. It's It's not too difficult. And this gives a very, very accurate and realistic look of what your actual annualized returns are. Like I said, it's it's the de facto one that we all use. And a lot of platforms do use it, but they only, some of them, they only use it for funds that are invested. So if there's any cash drag, they're not taking that into account in their XIR calculation. So, I mean, that's a bit naughty as far as I'm concerned. Um, and so I definitely would recommend everyone calculates the returns themselves and don't believe everything that you read for sure. We will be posting our XIRR returns for all of our platforms, um, as well as the the, the XIRR return for the whole portfolio. At the moment, it's running at about just over 12%, um, which we're very happy with. Um, so we'll see how that changes over time.
1: Is Mintos taking con- into consideration the cash drag? As far as I can see, it does.
0: And it also takes into account any uh, secondary market transactions. So if you buy something at a premium or sell something at a discount, um, it's gonna impact on your returns on that. On the summary page in the middle, you have the big percentage number. Uh, this is affected by the secondary market transactions, the fees, and also by the cash track, I believe. I will get back to you on that exactly. But so far, the Mintos returns that are shown on the platform match the returns that I calculate.
1: Okay, just for the listeners, I'm also seeing 11.42%, which is close. To the 12 percent you mentioned so that's definitely something the
0: 12 percent I mentioned is for uh is for all of the platforms that I invest in it's for the full one and a half million euros so this is
1: some are higher some are lower and it's just just over 12 percent okay but well just to have an idea about what you can get with p2p I would say between 9 and 12 13 percent is perfectly doable absolutely I mean Again, it it depends on your strategy, it depends on
0: your appetite for risk, but I would say P2P, generally, um, if the returns fall below 10%, I'll probably start losing interest.
1: Is there anything else we should mention before we close up?
0: I think, I mean, we've gone around the houses and talked about quite a lot, Um, probably getting a little bit tired of the sound of my voice. (laughs) No, (laughs) nothing from my side. You got anything else?
1: Now, I guess we've answered most of the questions I had prepared. And to remind our listeners, Sterling and Scrappy blog on p2p-millionaire.com. You'll find their portfolios, their updates, their reviews of the platforms, and some cashback offers as well. And I, I think you've done a revamp of the site recently. Looks different.
0: Yeah, yeah? correct. We, yeah, adding to the site um, all the time, you know, working on it when we get a chance nice is it in wordpress
1: it is a wordpress site yeah um check that out it's one of the best uh, websites i found and also one of the biggest portfolios which is also (laughs) important (laughs) so yeah thank you very much yeah thank you thank you
0: thank you so much for listening to another episode of mastermind.fm If you liked what you heard in today's episode, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your feedback encourages us to keep producing the kind of content that you have come to rely on for your own entrepreneurial journey. And if you have a question or topic you'd like us to cover on the show, send it to us through our website or via email at podcast at mastermind.fm, or even connect with us on Twitter at mastermind.fm. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you have a fantastic week.